have just had such a great time. I know we've said that a few times, but we really mean it. Like, you guys are family to us, even though we barely know you. And so we had a couple come up to us earlier this morning, and they're like, man, it has been such a stress-free weekend. We haven't thought about home or work. And then, but it's been tense because there's been a lot of tension. (laughs) So they were like, thank you for bringing all the tension to us. So let me just tell you, you're welcome. Um, No. So, yeah. So I just wanted to kind of just tell you how how much we've loved being with you. So thank you for that. So let's review a little bit. First night was, it's not, uh uh-huh, it's not about me. Second night is, and third morning was, you don't know it. What is that? You don't know it. The third one is, I am somebody. You don't know it yet. Okay. So I am somebody. So first night, it's not. It's about, I am somebody in the midst of nobody's and somebody's. I am somebody. So, okay, that's the third thing. Well, okay, this morning I am introducing this. And as you know, I like to tell stories. So I'm going to tell another story. Um, So my parents' parents immigrated. My dad's parents immigrated from Norway. My mom's parents immigrated from Holland. And they all made their way to Minnesota where they all became farmers. Okay, so I come from Norwegian and Dutch heritage. My mom says I'm mostly Dutch. So anyway, but they, my parents grew up under farmers that had brought their farming trade from those specific countries to Minnesota. So my parents learned how to farm. And so all of their lives, they have spent gardening. And I grew up under gardeners. And so I learned a lot and hated a lot about gardening. But I learn now to love it. So as an adult, I love to garden. In fact, it was so tempting for me to to give her, give Shane some pictures of my garden because I just love gardening. Like, I can't wait to get back today and see how everything's been going in the two days I haven't seen it. But what I love about it is what I, I love... I love thinking about the garden in the spring and thinking about how I'm going to plan out my garden. I have a general expectation of my garden. Like I plan out where I'm going to plant different things. And I think about what did I plant last year and what will I plant this year? And then I I rotate my crops. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I really do. Because the soil attracts different nutrients depending on what plant is there. So I think about that. And I love love planting and I love seeing what, what happens. And I have this general expectation that all of my garden will produce massive amounts of produce. That's my general expectation of every plant. But then I have specific expectations of individual plants. So I have right now cherry tomatoes that are orange. Oh, you should try them. They're beautiful. They're lovely. I don't like big tomatoes. I like cherry tomatoes, and I planted orange ones this year. They are so great, and they're so tasty. Well, I plant those specifically in a part of my garden that is going to get a lot of sun because those tomatoes like hot weather. So I plant them there for hot weather. I plant spinach back in the fall and let it germinate in the ground all winter long. And then in the springtime, all of a sudden, uh, seeds start developing and plants start coming up of spinach. My phone is ringing. Can you just click it off? I know. There's God's call. (laughs) Sorry. I feel it on my... It's on my watch. Sorry. It was just a little bit late. Anyway. Um... 
Yeah, I'm easily distracted. Okay, so, so I plant spinach and I see that coming up because spinach likes cool weather. It likes to grow in the cool of the seasons, not like tomatoes. So I don't expect my spinach to grow in the heat of summer. It's not doing well right now. But my tomatoes is doing, are doing really well. So I have specific and I have general ideas for my garden. And that's what we're going to be talking about today is general calling and specific calling. Well, God's word says a lot about about actually farming and gardening. And one of the passages that I just love is up here. And it is on Hebrews 6, 7, and 8. And it says, Land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it, and that produces a crop useful to those for whom it is farmed, receives the blessing of God. But land that produces thorns and thistles is worthless and is in danger of being cursed. In the end, it will be burned. When I read passages like that, I have to think about, God, you have planted things in me. You have created in me a plant. I'm a plant that's to be used of you. And you have watered me. I, have, I am the land that drinks in the rain. You are the land that drinks in the rain, often falling on it. And just like I have expectations of my plants, God has expectations of us as his plants. And so I wanted to give that analogy because sometimes, man, there was, there, when I got back from Cambodia this summer, I came back and had dengue fever. That was not a fun time. But I came back and my garden was going and I was kind of mad that there were some things that weren't doing well. And I thought, man, I have poured some, some water on these plants. I have given them nutrients. And what is wrong with these pumpkin plants that they're not growing pumpkins? So I ripped them out. Just like this passage talks about land that produces thorns and thistles or worthless pumpkins, I'm going to pull them out. And I wonder about that as it relates to our lives. What, in what ways is God planting in us and developing seeds in us to be used for his glory? And that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. So, uh, so I want to uh, talk about general calling. Uh, but before I do that, I'm going to go a little off script, okay? So uh, Carla's getting really nervous right now. Yeah. Because if we review the times I've gone off script this weekend, um, let's see, I called the, Denver, uh, the city of Denver fat, and uh, that included my wife, not a good move, and, um, and then I also cussed. So um, we'll see how it goes first. Uh, but I've had a hard time finding Dave is a deal. Dial? Deal? Where's Dave? He left! No! What? All right. Um, I thought, I'm going to use this to my advantage, and uh, that didn't, didn't go too well either. Uh, but no, uh, Dave, you were prayed for this weekend. That's all I can say. And um, I don't see the band here, but I just wanted to say what a great time with them as people have... Uh, uh, said over and over, but um, I don't know about you, but I just, uh, I'm really jealous of people that have that kind of talent, right? <laughs> I'm like, Lord, could you have just given me a little bit, right? I can barely, you know, clap and sing and keep time and all of that. And uh, in fact, I would love to be a drummer, okay? I, that, that's just one of my dreams, and there is no shot. There is no shot this side of heaven. And so I've made a deal with my drummer at my church. I said, when we get to heaven, you need to teach me how to drum. And it's probably going to take all of eternity. So that's the place where we're going to do it. And, uh, and I was going to say to Dave here, like, if the drummer from my church doesn't make it, 
then I'll, I'll have him. So I'll let him know. I'll let the drummer at my church know I've got a backup. And, uh, <laughs> but really, I just, I love when, um, you know, I mean, Dave's going from the drums to there, and he can sing. And when I was up there, when we were up uh, with you guys at the amphitheater a month ago or so, we was playing the guitar. I'm like, Lord, what? Uh, I would like to do just one of those things. Um, but I just, I love it when um, people are taking the talent that God has blessed them with, and they're just, they're using it all for his glory. It is such a beautiful thing to see. And... Um, and that's what we've been talking about this weekend. Um, so much that God has planted in each of us. And, um, and using it for his glory is, uh, is just a rich and wonderful place to be. Um, the last thing I want to say off script uh, real quick is um, just that uh, we had the privilege of uh, having Janet with us uh, when we went to Cambodia last summer. And I would like to invite the rest of you to come with us as well. Um, we would love to uh, take anybody who goes with us. Like I said, we go uh, every year. We take teams from our church in Denver. We take uh, teams from all over the world, from you know, Taiwan, from China, from Okinawa, Japan. Um, we just, we love it. And um, it's not that we just love it, but that we need folks um, to go there and to invest in the nobodies. Uh, in Cambodia, in our little uh, village there, in the little place. So if that's something you're interested in, um, come and find us afterwards, and uh, we'll, we'll tell you more about that. But I uh, just wanted to invite you to that. So I want to talk uh, just for a couple minutes about general calling. Okay, the tension is general calling uh, versus or and specific calling. Because we all are called, and we have, all have general callings. And the general calling, I know what your general calling is. It's the same as mine. Everybody has a general calling, and that's why we call it general calling, right? And, and the Lord was very specific about what general calling was. He said, to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. All of us are called to do that. You're called to not lie. I'm called to not lie. You know, you're called to, um, to love the people around you. I'm called to love the people around you. I can tell you what your general calling is. But you know what? I have no idea what your specific calling is. I can't tell you that. I don't know that. And there's no mystery around general calling. There's actually... I don't know if you call it mystery, but there's actually work that you've got to do to live out your general calling. You've got to learn, God, what do you want me to do? And a lot of times when we go to church, we hear a lot about our general calling, how we're supposed to live in this world, the things that we are supposed to do and the things that we're not supposed to do. In fact, one of the, uh, I told you there were 10 tensions that uh, uh, my dad and I were writing about. One of the tensions is right and wrong versus life and death. Because a lot of times we get really focused on the right and wrong, right? And we just talk about right and wrong, what's right and what's wrong, and, what, and the life and death issues we tend to not talk about. But that's another sermon. <laughs> but we know, and a lot of times the, the sermons that we get, the encouragement that we get, 
is as believers, we're supposed to bloom where we're planted. We're supposed to go and and live such righteous lives that the people around us notice and they're drawn to Christ. And you guys, that is so true. That is such an important message. We should be living those kingdom values. We should be living the right way. We should be living with all our heart, mind, and soul for Jesus. But it goes beyond just living that way out in the world. That God has actually given you talent. He's given you passion. He's given you conviction. He's given you a history, some of it painful, some of it really good. And he wants to take those things and he wants to call you to a special calling that he has just for you. So Carla's going to come back up. And uh, she's going to kind of talk about special calling and define it for us. Yeah, so the kind of the scriptural references that I want to just bring up are a couple of passages. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 is the first one. And it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And I love that because there's a specific race as, as believers. There's a specific race I believe that God has called all of us to individually. The second passage is found in uh, uh, Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So I'm going to just give you another story of how God, I, I, we saw God, I saw God just really develop this special calling in my life. And so um, I, you guys know I, I run a nonprofit. Uh, 13 years we've been in existence. We began in Thailand and Burma working with orphans. And so we established um, some orphanages and worked with these orphanages and established sponsorship programs for them. And our vision for the kids was that we wanted to see them become sustainable adults who became difference makers for Christ in their part of the world. That was our vision. And so we began investing in these kids and investing in the orphanage directors and really working there. Three years into that work, Todd had been working with Cadence and he had been visiting a ministry in Cambodia that was tied with part of Cadence's ministry to foreign military in Cambodia. And he came back from this trip. That was 10 years ago now. He came back from his trip out there to visit the work in the minefield village. And he said, honey, would Lightbridge come alongside and partner with us? And would you guys come in and, and begin doing community development? See, they were there working with military members, evangelism, discipleship. He said, would you guys come in and do community development? And I looked at him, I went, no way. What are you, what are you crazy? And, and he goes, no, like, you guys are right there. You're in Thailand. Cambodia's not far. And I'm like, we don't, I don't know anything about community development. I, I, I barely know what I'm doing with the orphan care that we're doing. And he goes, but could you just come? And I said, no, that's mission drift. We had this like kind of fierce comp, you know, like argument about it. And I'm like, that's mission drift. I'm gonna get, we're going to get caught up into this and what's going to happen with the orphanages. We're about orphan care. And he goes, well, I'm sure there's orphans there. <laughs> could, you, <laughs> could you just come? So I went, oh, Lord, what are we doing? And so we decided to, a couple of our board members decided that summer, 10 years ago, that we would go. So we went to Cambodia with Todd, and we walked into this village uh, that sits on top of a minefield. And as we're walking, I thought, we are in a National Geographic show. 
because it was just so raw. I'd never seen the kind of poverty. Even though we'd worked in Thailand and Burma, I'd never seen that level of poverty before. And we're walking through, and I'm like, oh, boy, what are we, what in the world would we have to offer here? And, I, you know, I just didn't know. We got into uh, the place where Cadence was doing ministry in this village, and we decided to do a little VBS, a day of VBS for the kids. And we had all these kids following these white people <laughs> all over the village, you know. It was just crazy. And so we get to this little hut, and we set up our VBS program. And we teach the kids, they're Buddhists, we teach the kids, there is a God and he created you, and he created you special and unique. That was our whole theme for the day. Well, it got to the point where we were ready to do a little craft with them, and we had brought papers that had printed paper dolls on them. We handed out all of these papers. There were about 30 kids. They ranged from 2 to maybe 14 years of age. We handed out all these paper dolls and crayons, and I stand up and I say, okay, you know that God has created you special, just like he's created me special, unique and special. I'm telling the kids this through a translator, and I say to them, okay, so you have a paper doll in front of you, and look, I have a paper doll in front of me too. And I hold up my paper doll and I say, I finished creating myself the way God created me on my paper doll. And that's what we want you to do because God made me special. So see, my paper doll has blonde hair, blue eyes, a gray shirt, and blue shorts. See how I made my paper doll to look like me? Now we want you to make your paper doll to look like you. So I gave some pretty clear instructions, got done with the instructions. And I'm like, okay, so let's go and do our little paper doll experiment. Every single one of those kids, beautiful brown eyes, brown skin kids, every single one of them just sat there and stared at me with these like eyes as big as saucers. And I thought, something was lost in translation here. So I went through the whole thing again, did a little bit more instruction, whatever, finished it up, and still, it was like deer in the headlights. That's what I was looking at with these 30-some kids. So I looked at my translator, and I said, Threat? What? What's going on right now? It's kind of like they're they're afraid. They look like they're scared. And Sarette said, oh, yeah, they're very afraid of you. Kala is how they call my name. They're very afraid of you, Kala. Uh, And I said, why is that? Because you are the first white people they've ever seen in this village. Well, yeah, I'm... Uh, we are scary. We, I am scary, so I understand that. And then I said, but can, like, no, nobody's moving. They're just sitting here. They don't, they're not touching the crayons. They, they're not doing that. And he said, oh, yeah, they're, they're really afraid of that too because they've never seen crayons. They don't know how to use them. And it was at that moment that I realized the power of a crayon because it was at that moment and since that uh, that I really feel that God was saying to me, Carla, you don't know a thing. <laughs> I don't. You don't know a thing about community development. You don't know at all what I have in store here for this village. But I wonder, Carla, could you start maybe with a crayon? Could you start with these kids and just teach them how to pick up a crayon and how to draw and how to just color in a paper doll? Forget about the scissors we brought to cut out everything. That was out the window. But, but the crayon, could you just start there? And I thought, you know what, Lord? Yeah. Okay. I'm, and, and I had to just have a time of repentance after that to just go, Lord, why did I think I had to know everything when all you're asking is, could you just start with a crayon for crying out loud? And that's where God led us. And so 
Um, I just want you to hear through that story that before God created you and me, he created us with a purpose in mind. My purpose is tied to Cambodia. My purpose was tied and started with crayons. I, I don't know what your purpose is. I don't know what God specifically designed you for, but he, he did that well before you were even born, well before I was even born. He has a specific thing in mind. He has a general garden that we're all a part of, but he has specific plants that we're all, we're all to be for his glory as well. So I, I want to I share with you a couple things about, uh, we call it 10 things to know about your special calling. And so um, I'm just going to read through these and, and kind of talk through them, just things to know about. The first thing um, is that the general calling really begins the moment we become a Christian. Todd talked about that. Um, it, it just starts right then. We all have the same general calling, but no one knows when God will extend his special calling. It might be in a minefield in Cambodia. We don't know when that will happen, but it, it happens. Number two, we don't develop our special calling. We discover it. That's the second part of it. Um, <clears throat> We, uh, if you don't know yet, maybe what your special calling is, um, I, I want you to know, I want you to just hear, man, put your antennas up and just go, God, what are you calling me to? And be attentive to listen. We, we take a family vacation every five years. We go somewhere. We save up all our miles and go somewhere. And so a few years ago, we were in Japan because we used to live there. And we're in Okinawa, Japan, having dinner together. And I had ordered Mexican food. <laughs> I come in Japan and I order Mexican food. Okay, whatever. So I order Mexican food and I had all these olives on my plate. That's going to relate, so just give me a second. So I had all these olives on my plate. And Todd, as he's the vision and leader in our family, he asks our kids and our, our family and says, in the next five years, what, what, what do you think God is calling you to? What's your vision for what God's giving you in these next five years? And so, uh, and, and just share as, as family members, what, what's God doing? What's he calling you to as you think about your vision? Well, I don't consider myself a visionary. And so as I'm sitting there, everybody's sharing and like inside I am getting tense and I'm starting to panic a little bit. Like, I don't know what God's calling me to in five years. You know, I have no idea. I don't even know what I'm going to be doing next week, let alone the next five years. And so I'm kind of panicking internally and everybody's sharing, you know, my children are sharing and it's good. Todd's sharing and I'm the last one. And so Todd looks at me and everybody looks at me and as is typical, I just start crying. (laughs) Like that happens all the time. So I start crying and there's tears falling onto my olives and and I, I go, you know what, guys, I don't even know. And I feel like how God has led in this is, I don't know, kind of like these olives. And I just said, it's like, it, it's like God has placed an olive before me. And I kind of start lining up my olives. And I said, it's like he, he maybe doesn't show me the olives that are down the plate a ways, but he, he gives me just one olive at a time. And, and he just says, hey, Carla, could you just eat that olive? Like, don't worry about the olives that are coming. Just eat that olive. And then I'm going to show you the next olive to come. And, and I'm just going to keep showing you olives. And I know that's a weird analogy, but that's what it was like for me. And so in that second point, we don't, we don't develop it. We discover it. It might be that God's just going to place some olives before you, and he's just going to say, 
eat the darn olive. That's all I want you to do. My kids, as I shared that story, and I'm crying, and my daughter starts crying because she can't stand it. If I'm crying, then she starts crying. So she's crying, and my oldest son goes, I want God to give me some olives, too. (laughs) I'll just ask him. I don't know. So we're all crying. Okay, number three, my special calling will energize me. My special calling will energize me. It will, it will be ministering out of like a sweet spot for me. And I, and I really have, can testify to that, that it energizes me. It's a sweet spot for me. But it also, I want you to hear the caveat, we can still burn out in that special calling if we're not mindful of it. Number four, my spe- special calling is something I do as a servant, not only as a volunteer. I want you to hear the difference of that. It's not just, oh, I'm just going to go and I'm going to volunteer to feed these people at a soup kitchen. Maybe that's what God is calling you to. But if God's calling you to that, I believe that will be a special calling that you feel like compelled to do. It is is not just merely volunteering. It is being a servant. It's committed with an ownership of the calling, not just serving or checking the box. Volunteering is good. Please don't hear that it's not. We need it. But special calling, when God is calling us to be servants, not only volunteers. Number five, this one is kind of key. My special calling is likely to move me out of my comfort zone. Man, when I'm in Cambodia, it is way out of my comfort zone a lot of times. And I'm often reminded of a statement that we grew up hearing at our church that Todd's dad would preach on. There are no comfort zones on a cross. And I think about that often. I'm like, Lord, there there was no comfort zone on the cross. When you died on that cross, there was nothing comfortable about it. And you ask us to take up our cross and daily follow you. So to be mindful of that, that there's no comfort zone in that. So don't confuse that out of your sweet spot means that, there's, that it's going to be all comfortable for you. I'm here to tell you it's not in my life very comfortable. Sixth thing, we, ha- we may have one or several special callings. Remember the olive illustration? I don't know what God has next in the next five years. Don't ask because I'll start crying. But I don't know what God has next, but just to eat those olives that he places before us, those special callings. He may place special callings that are still five years away that I had no idea was coming my way or your way. Seven ties with that. We might discover our special calling at any stage in life. God will bring circumstances. Todd talked about that. God will bring circumstances that, that into our lives that will show us the way God is calling us to. The pressure we should feel is the pressure to be listening to God's story and God's call. Um, I don't know, he may be calling you to be a grandma right now and invest in your kids. He may calling you, be calling you to be a stay-at-home mom and invest in those kids. But at some point, you need to realize that's God's calling in me, and that was what, that's the calling that he is asking me to do. Number eight, your special calling may or may not be related to your occupation or natural abilities. God is not limited by either spiritual gifts or talents. Okay, so I think I've told you I'm terrible at math and terrible with numbers. I run a nonprofit organization, and my board of directors is putting out in front of me finance, financials, you know, balance sheets. I don't even know the names of them all sometimes. And I look at them, and I'm like, oh, Lord, what do these mean? I don't even know. I need help to discover that. That is way outside my natural ability. 
And I need help. I need people to help me understand that. But to realize that it may be related or it may not be related to your natural occupation or natural abilities. But God's not limited by that. I'll tell you, in finances, he's given me and empowered me the ability to be frugal. So there's that. I may not be able to read it, but I can do that. Um, nine, number nine, your special calling uh, may become clear only after a bad or even worse tragic incident. So I think about Chuck Colson. You all know him or have heard of him. He started Prison Fellowship. That came after he was sentenced to prison. That whole ministry began out of that terrible Watergate incident that happened, and he was sentenced to prison. I think about um, another ministry that began out of that kind of terrible thing, and um, I think about Mothers Against Drunk drunk Drivers. That started out of tragedy. God may use that in our lives. The number 10 thing, the primary tool that I believe God will use to call you will be your emotions or your passions. I don't think I've ever met someone pursuing their special calling in ministry that didn't know that that was their passion. But, you know, I think finding it means you have to look at your want-tos. Because there's a lot of times when my resources, my abilities, my understanding about my spiritual gifts simply isn't enough. But I have to rely on my passion to go, I don't know, God, but you're calling me to this. I feel strongly about being in this fight for women and protecting them against the horrors of human trafficking, and I don't know how we're going to do it, but there's this passion in me that I have to follow it. And sometimes that's what carries me is my passion for that. I know that's, that God has, has a passion for each of you. Some he's called to Cambodia, some he's called to Uganda, some he's called right here to Dylan. Well, he's not here, but you get it, to Dylan. He's the master gardener. He's the one that is gardening, gardening your soil and calling you to that and planting us with that kind of thing. And I think that that's the mystery of it. Like as a master gardener, my, my, I'm a master gardener of my garden. My, those seeds don't know anything. They don't know what I'm going to do or expect of them. But when I, when I plant them in there and I start watering and tilling them, I expect for them to grow. Same thing for God. He is calling each and every one of us. He chose us. But he's also given us the freedom to say no. I don't understand that. Um, but I do know that when we step into our special calling, we experience faith like never before. We experience a depth in our relationship with Christ. We experience a purpose and a richness that we didn't know before. And that's really the beauty and the mystery of it all. And something that really confounds me often. So I just want to give us a minute to breathe. I don't know. Maybe you know what your what the special calling is God has placed in your life right now. Maybe you know. Maybe you don't. Maybe you need to go, man, Lord, I don't know what you're calling me to, but will you just put that olive in front of me? Because I want to be obedient and eat that darn olive. Will you just take a minute? And Todd will come back up here in a second. But let's just give ourselves space to breathe for a minute and go, Lord, what are you calling me to after this weekend? What are you calling me to in these next season of my life?
Father, I pray that you would um, hear our hearts, God, as you are so faithful to do. And Father, I do pray that you would um, continue to unleash uh, the people in this room on a broken, dying, hurting, wounded world. And Father, I pray that as you lead them, as your spirit guides them, Father, that they would be responsive and that they would bear fruit for years and decades and generations to come. Thank you, Father. Amen. Uh, Before we wrap up, we've got a few minutes. Um, We've talked a lot about uh, redemption uh, and kind of how the kingdom of God and, and following our calling is bringing redemption into a broken world. But I want to talk for a minute about unity uh, because that was uh, part of the theme, and, um, and, and family, and what that means, and how does uh, the kingdom of God, how does responding to your calling, how does that matter to the unity of the people in this room and the unity of Dillon Community Church? And um, I will tell you, again, our experience growing up, uh, as I told you, some of the folks that were in our church were just some of the, the greatest heroes Uh, of my spiritual walk and of Carla's spiritual walk. And those are people that are still dear friends to us. We haven't been at Bear Valley, um, you know, in 35 years. Um, but, But we still dearly love those people, and we get to see them. And we've been at other churches, a lot of other churches, in those 35 years, and yet those are some of the closest people to us in our lives. And, um... And so I want to talk for just a minute um, about that because um, one of the things, um, I, I haven't talked a lot about what I do with Cadence International, and um, I appreciate some of you have come up and they're like, now what's Cadence? And um, Cadence, uh, we work with the uh, military, primarily with American military, but also with foreign military. And um, basically what we do is we set up hospitality houses. So we have missionaries that go and they rent or they buy a house next to a military installation and they go into that home and then they open it up for service members and their families to come and they can come get a home-cooked meal. They can come hear the gospel, have a Bible study, do retreats and we are just there to love on the military because those folks are, are serving our country and they're so important And many of them are young, right? 18, 19 years old, and they're away from home for the first time. And they're at a very uh, impressionable, very important age. And so to have somebody to come alongside them and walk with them and to just tell them that we see them and how important they are, um, not only to our country, uh, but to God. And it's been a ministry that... Uh, you know, I've been a part of um, for 30 years now and uh, just, just love it and such a privilege to walk with those that are serving our country. And uh, one of the things that I've learned from uh, many of the men who have gone to war and, uh, and have gone to places like Afghanistan and Iraq and other places like that and, and come home and they really, a lot of them are suffering from wartime PS, PTSD. 
And they struggle because when they get back home, there's a lack of purpose, right? And they've been out on the front lines and they've been fighting for their lives and they've been walking and fighting shoulder to shoulder with their battle buddies. And they come back home and all of a sudden the world is very different and they feel like they don't have a lot of purpose. And they struggle to find the same kind of purpose that they found on the front lines. And when they're on the front lines, they experience a deep connection with the other people that they're fighting with. Some of you know that in this room. Some of, the, some of you that have served, you know what it's like to be fighting life and death and to be serving shoulder to shoulder. And what those other men come to mean to you and how important they are. I mean, they got your back. And it is like nothing that you experience when you get back to regular life. And so they come back and they try to find meaning in the relationships. And it's tough. It is really tough. And they long for that type of camaraderie and unity that they had and the kind of purpose and meaning. And I often like in general calling to kind of being back off the front lines. Does it matter? Absolutely. Does it have meaning? You bet. But being on the front lines is like our special calling. It takes, it takes life to a whole nother level. And it's, uh, it is a level that we are only called to, but we are especially, let me say that again, sorry, I'm trying to read this. And it is a level that we are not only called to, but we are specially designed to fulfill. And I hope you have gotten that message. And when we find that special calling and when we step into it, when we step into the good works that God has designed us to do, it is. It takes all of life to another level. And when there is a group of believers that are doing that together, it's amazing. And something happens. And folks, it's something that I can't really uh, explain. It's the Spirit of God that works in his people as they step into what he's called them to do. And it is a beautiful, rich, and deep thing. And it is a unity that binds the people of God together in a supernatural way. And we have really seen that. Again, we have this privilege of looking back 30, 40 years ago and seeing what the fruit of that is like. Uh, My mom is in a book club with some of the original members of Bear Valley. And we get to go to that book club every once in a while and hang out with them. And these folks are now at different churches and different places, but they come, to get, come together every month still because there is just this incredible bond that has lasted over the decades. And I can remember, even as a high school, junior high and high school kid, being so excited to go to church. Okay, folks, that's not normal. Okay, I'm a little weird, I understand. But even as a pastor's kid, I don't know how many pastor's kids you know, but most of them aren't real excited to go to church. 
But we would go in. Uh, we were down on South Sheridan was where our building was for the years that I grew up, and we were there. And it sat about 200 people in this little sanctuary, okay? It was much, our sanctuary was much smaller than this room. It sat about 200 people, and it just got packed. And we got to the point where we were doing five services on Sunday just to fit everybody. And I mean, it was, you know, we were rolling them in and rolling them out. But man, we would walk into that church and there was such a buzz because I even know that as a junior high and high school, I felt like, man, I am a part of something special. We are out there kicking a dent for the kingdom. And we knew it. And we couldn't wait to come together and to worship together and to see each other because we knew we were going, all, going back out to the front lines. In fact, my dad used to tell the choir, he goes, you guys better be good. <laughs> he goes, because people are coming in and they've been beat up by the world because they have been out there living out kingdom values and, and the world just pushes against that and, it, and it, 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 it's hard. It's hard sledding out there. And he goes, these people are coming in for an hour and so you had better be good because this is the hour where they get refueled and they get to relax and they get to just enjoy and take in and they get to celebrate. And this is kind of like, you know, getting off the front lines and just whew, taking a breather. So choir, mm, give it to them. <laughs> kind of like we got this weekend, Right? Give it to them because they need to be refueled because they're going back out on the front lines. The other thing I remember my dad saying is he would stand up in front of a full, uh, kind of a packed house, and he would say this fairly regular, probably two or three times a year. He would say, look, folks. He goes, I don't know why you came here this Sunday. He goes, you may have come from another church or another place and you're wounded, and you need to just sit and you need to heal. And you know what? Please, come. This is a place of healing. You can come and heal here at Bear Valley. He goes, but if you've come just to kind of spectate and to consume and just check it out, he goes, please, there are lots of other churches that would love your attendance. He goes, we need your seat. We need your seat for people that are going to kick a dent for the kingdom. And they're coming to be refueled to get, set, to get sent out again and to live out their calling for Jesus. You see, the way we experience relationships in the church is different. When you are on the front lines of ministry, the people around you become so much more than friends. They really become your battle buddies. And they become the people that you're not just talking about right and wrong with, but you're actually life and death, eternal life and death. And folks, that's the most important kind. And so I encourage you to band together and to become battle buddies with one another. And so uh, before we end here, I've just got a couple of minutes. I want to talk... Uh, just real quickly about kind of um, how does this work, okay? Um, and, and I'm not saying, you know, this is the way you should do it at Dillon Community Church. God is calling your church. He is going to lead you. The Spirit is going to lead you. But it might help just to go, okay, how did we do this uh, at our church? 
and at, at Foothills and at Bear Valley. And um, I'm just going to tell you a story of one of the ministries, kind of how it started and how God and how the Spirit moved in it. Just to give you an idea, so uh, we had some folks in our congregation that um, really wanted to adopt. And, um, and so we began to talk about this special calling and, and, and getting out there and putting your antennas up and saying, God, what, what are you calling me to? And there were a couple of families that felt like God was calling them to adoption. And, uh, and they both uh, kind of talked to me about it, and they didn't uh, talk to each other, but I began to hear kind of some rumblings about adoption. And so um, I thought it would be really good one Sunday um, to uh, invite Sharon Ford. And uh, Sharon Ford oversees social services for all of Colorado. And I thought, uh, I got a connection with her, and I called her up, and I said, Dr. Ford, would you come and just tell us about, you know, social services in Colorado. What do you see? What are some of the deepest needs? And so we had her in on a Sunday and uh, just did an interview with her and just said, what do you see? What are, you, what are the needs? And she talked about foster kids, you know, and she talked about all the kids that are in foster care. At that time, it was about 625 kids across the state of Colorado that they had no place to put into, and, uh, into adoption. They were just in foster care. And so um, these families that were interested in adoption, that really, for them, it was just like, okay, bam, that, that is what I'm talking about right there. So in the bulletin, and announced it from the stage on Sunday, said, hey, if there's anybody interested in adoption here at the church, we're going to have a meeting. You know, Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, whatever, we're going to do a meeting. If you're interested in adoption, come to this meeting. And we just threw it out there. And so Wednesday night, 7 o'clock comes, and uh, families start showing up. And there were probably, I don't know, half a dozen couples, maybe eight couples that came. I don't know. Uh, none of the pastors came. Okay, no, no, it wasn't about church leadership or anything like that. It was like, hey, if you're interested, get together. And we're, gonna get, we're just going to get everybody in the same room and see what the Spirit does. And so these families got together, and they began to pray together. And they begin to talk together about, what do we do? And so uh, that, was, um, that was just kind of how it started, just very grassroots. And uh, they begin to strategize together and, um, and, and work together. And a couple of the families actually adopted out of foster care. A couple of them did international adoptions. But what they also did is they said, we want to make our churches aware of the kids in foster care. And so out of that group came a a ministry called Portraits of Hope. And what they did is they took pictures of, they went to Jefferson County and they said, who are the 20 kids that you're having the most difficult getting into uh, out of foster care into adoption? And most of those were teenagers, right? Or kids with special needs. And so we went and we took pictures of these kids, and we blew them up into big sides, put them in nice frames, put them on frames, and then we just went and started doing uh, a road show, if you will, from different churches in Jefferson County. And, um, and we got churches to say yes. We'd go in their lobby, set up these uh, portraits. We called it Portraits of Hope, and people were just beginning to see the nobodies. And out of that, there just began this rise of interest in adoption across Jefferson County. 
And through that process, uh, some of the folks um, that were in this ministry, they got to know some of the social workers in Jefferson County. And the social worker said, you know what? Another huge need that we have is we're take, when we take kids out of their homes and put them into foster care, we have to leave everything that they own behind, especially in meth homes. So it's a very traumatic time for these kids. Uh, the police are often there. Social services comes in and they take these kids and they take them from their home And that same time, 20 minutes later, sometimes they're in a brand new home with people they've never met before. Tough, tough stuff. And so our our team got together and they said, what can we do? And they, they started another ministry called Packs of Hope, where they put together age specific backpacks for kids so that when social services came in to take a you know, three-year-old little boy out of his home, they could take a backpack with age-appropriate clothing, with a couple of toys, with a teddy bear, with a toothbrush, with socks, whatever it is, and they would just put it all together. And so social service would come in, and at least when they went to drop him off at his new home, he had something that was his, right? And that ministry started now... Portraits of Hope went on for a couple of years, and it was great, and then it just kind of died. But Packs of Hope has continued over the years, and we started with uh, Jefferson County, and every month they were doing, you know, 40 or 50 of these backpacks and taking them to the, to the social workers at Jefferson County. And then uh, Denver County heard about that, and they said, hey, we would love some backpacks. Can you do that for us? So it expanded. And then Arapahoe County, and then Douglas County, and then Adams County. I think they are in eight counties now. And how many backpacks are they doing? They're doing thousand, over a thousand backpacks every year for kids that are being taken out of their home. And it is a major ministry. And so many people in the community are involved by it because all of this stuff, every backpack has to get donated. And it just grew. And, you know, church leadership, pastors, none of them are involved. It's all by the laity. And it's by different people in the church that God has called around this issue of adoption and around the nobodies. And so it's been a beautiful thing. The last thing that came out of that is the folks that were in this ministry, they got to know the social workers. And I don't know if there's any social workers in the room But if there are, bless you. (laughs) Folks, you talk about a tough, tough job. And the burnout rate among social workers is tremendous because they are at the front lines of some of the hardest and some of the most difficult issues in our culture and in our communities. And a lot of times they're nobodies. People don't see them. And our, our, the, the people that were in the ministry begin to rally around these social workers. And they begin to see the need that they had, and so they begin to host dinners for them around the holidays and just bring them together and say, we want to just love on you. And, you know, they would put on everything to be waiters to them and just 
make them a beautiful meal and just shower them with gifts and just say thank you. And the tears <laughs> that, they, that came from those social workers, that they just felt honored because somebody saw them and loved them and appreciated them for the work that they did. Don't you love that? Yeah. And it all just came out because a group of people followed that first olive and went to a meeting and said, where's the spirit leading? What is God doing? What is he calling us to? One of the reactions that we often get from pastors is, man, if you tell 200 people they got a special calling from God, they're going to go in 200 different directions, you know, and it'll, there'll be so many. We can't keep track. We got to, you know, we got to corral this thing. And folks, that's where you trust the Spirit of God, that the Spirit of God is leading your church in the places that you should be involved in. One of the hardest things about our church is I have a real desire for international students. I see that as such an incredible ministry, and it's one of the incredible ministries that Bear Valley had. It was so deeply impacting, not just here, but around the world. Because these students come, and they don't know anything about America, and they're like, yeah, we would love to come to your home and learn about your culture. The culture at our home is Jesus. So they're going to learn about Jesus, right? (laughs) What an incredible ministry because they go home to wherever, China or Mongolia or wherever they're from, and they take the gospel with them. What an amazing ministry. And you know what? God has not called our church to that. I've talked about international students. I've, you know, tried to make it a deal. Nobody's bitten. Nobody said, oh, that's me. I want to do that. You know what? I trust God in that. Because God will lead your church, the Spirit of God will lead your church to the places he wants you to be in Summit County. Amen? Can I get an amen? (laughs) So just like the master gardener, he's going to plant you. And he's going to call you And most likely, he's going to call some other people too. And we've put needs out there, and somebody said, yeah, I'll do it. And we said, okay, we've got a meeting on Wednesday at 7, and they're the only folks that show up. And they come back, and they're like, devastated. What do I do? I go, I don't know. I don't know what to do. Let's pray. Let's ask God. I'm not in charge. He is. (laughs) So let's seek him out. So uh, the last thing I want to share with you real quick is just um, we have three rules that we tell people when they want to start a ministry in our church. We say it's pretty simple, just three rules. And uh, the first one is don't ask the church for money. (laughs) Because if we were to tie like the ministry of Packs of Hope, if we said that's got to be in the church budget, folks, we'd be doing about 100 backpacks a year. (laughs) right? You can't tie it to the church budget because then all of a sudden it limits what can be done. And so Packs of Hope has had to figure out, man, how do we get things donated? How do we, um, 
you know, how do we get monetary donations? And God has just provided over and over throughout the year. In fact, what, two months ago, Pax of Hope was honored as a seven everyday hero. And so they were on the news at 10 o'clock, you know, and they got such incredible publicity and the, the ministry leader is so excited because it's like, man, we, I've got people calling and asking, how can I help? How can I be involved? God did that. He'll take care of your ministry. So don't ask the church for money. And the second one is don't get into theological, moral, or legal trouble. <laughs> okay? <laughs> because if it's your ministry, your ministry, you got to keep it out of trouble. Okay? You got to be responsible. We're going to give you the authority. We're going to give you the responsibility. And then the last uh, rule uh, is the ministry lives and dies with you. Okay? Don't start something and then, you know, it, it, it grows and it gets big like packs of hope and goes and then come to the pastor and say, oh, I quit. You guys have to take it now. And when people have done that and I've been in that position, I've said, well, sorry, ministry's over. Sometimes that's really painful. But it's not, it's not mine. It's yours. And so it lives and dies with you. And so if you want to see it continue to grow, raise up other leaders. If you want to shut it down, shut it down. We had a beautiful ministry to, uh, to uh, families uh, that had uh, mentally and physically handicapped children and uh, respite care so they could come and drop off their child for a couple of hours and go and, uh, you know, go sleep or go shop or go to a coffee shop, whatever they wanted to do. And it was a beautiful ministry. And we had a waiting list of families in our community that wanted to come and be a part of this ministry. And we had a beautiful family running it. And God moved them away. And we had to shut the ministry down. It was so hard, but we really believe in that. So again, these are just thoughts for you as you think about it, um, thoughts for you, Mark, and for the elders and for the leadership to think, how are we going to do this? And you don't have to do it like this, but it just helps you. It gives you a, an idea and a shot. So it's not about me. It's about the kingdom. I am someone who, who God has given a special calling. Okay? I am someone that God has given a special calling. Can you guys remember that? It's about the kingdom? Okay, uh, that, that was a little rough, but uh, it's all right. Let's try it. How about you repeat after me? I'll, give, I'll be a little clearer up here. That will help you. Okay, it's not about me. It's about the kingdom. And I am someone. I am somebody. Sorry, I am somebody who God has given a special calling. All right, good. Uh, Mark said that you're going to write a postcard to yourself. And um, why don't you write those two sentences on the top of that postcard? So in six months, when you get it, you can say, oh, yeah. And hopefully you can remember the four sessions we had together. All right? Great. Thank you, sir. Yeah, give these guys a big hand. Yeah.